you know, it's all good. Just the next, you know, four months or so will be like this. We'll just, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. No winters. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just want to quickly uh, recap what we talked about last week because we're going through a series from the book of, book of Colossians. So last week uh, we read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 24, the end of chapter 1, to the beginning of chapter 2, uh, verse 5. And we talked about the mystery, the mystery of the gospel. You know, it's not something we often think about when we think about Jesus or the church. Mystery. But, uh, you know, I used the example of a recent uh, Korean crime drama called uh, Investigation Couple, Kompop Namnya, right? And I, I hope that that was not the only thing you took away from last week's message. Um, I know that Eugene, one of our sisters, Eugene, said she was going to go watch the whole thing, and I felt very sad. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I trust uh, that, you know, God was able to speak to you through it. And the point of the message was that maybe the reason why it's so difficult to follow Jesus in our lives you know, consistently, why it gets hard sometimes, it's not just that we're not trying hard enough or we don't love him enough, but maybe it's actually a mystery. It's because of the mystery that we find it difficult because a mystery can be something that you don't fully know about hidden knowledge or maybe the mystery is that it's a paradox it conflicts with what you believe so it doesn't make sense so it's like it's mysterious in that way right so maybe you might be asking i don't understand why this is happening to me how can god allow this to happen to me it's a mystery and it's hard to follow the word of god it's hard to follow the teachings of Jesus through the mystery. You, you get stopped at that point and just say, I can't understand it. I'm just going to do what I believe in, what I think is right. Or maybe there's a contradiction, a conflict. Um, an example would be, you know, Jesus talks about loving your enemies, blessing those who persecute you. Someone hurts you really bad. What does Jesus say? Love them, forgive them. That doesn't make sense. This person hurt me. How can I forgive them? It's a paradox. It's a contradiction. It's a mystery how this is meant to be wisdom. How is this meant to be reality, the truth? So you, you stop there and you just choose your own way. I'm not going to forgive them. I'm going to cut them out and just live my life. Right? So sometimes it's the mystery that stops us from following Christ all the way. All right, so that was kind of the point of last week's message. And these mysteries, how do we deal with it? They, they start to become clear, they start to become resolved when we have the revelation. So the word revelation actually means to reveal I uncover when we have the revelation of God's love for us through the sacrifice of His Son. When that actually goes deeper into our hearts, that actually God gave up His Son for us, that we can live, 
then things start to make a bit more sense. Oh, I need to love people the way that God loves me. Oh, so now I understand why I have to forgive that person who hurt me so badly. So we can see the mystery is starting to become resolved. They start to unravel as God's love, the truth of God's love goes deeper into our hearts. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, so that's the part of the Bible where Paul talks about love. What is love? Love is patient. Love is kind, etc., etc. You know, every wedding, you know, in the West you know, has that passage. Paul writes, for we know in part. So right now, th- some things are hidden. This current reality we live in, things are hidden from us. We don't know the full picture. We prophesy in part, so we hear from God partially. But when the perfect comes, when Jesus returns, the partial will pass away. So how long are we going to have to put up with these mysteries? You know, in one sense, it's something we're going to have to live through for the rest of our lives. There's always going to be something we don't fully understand about God. Or there's also always going to be something about Jesus' teachings that it just like, that just doesn't make sense to me. I don't want to do that. That's going to be part of our journey until Jesus returns. Then everything is made clear. All things are resolved. So uh, Paul finishes uh, chapter 13 in verse 12. He says, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. All right, so this journey, this dealing with mysteries, the mysteries of Christ, of the gospel, it's going to be something that we're going to do for our entire lives. We'll have like one breakthrough and then we'll come up against another mystery and have another breakthrough that's going to keep going until Jesus returns. So it's kind of like there's hope, but also it's going to be a long journey as well. But all of it is for us to continue to grow and become more and more like Jesus. Right, so Paul, he, he actually, in our passage for today, the first verse, he says, uh, verses 6 to 7, he says, Walk in Christ Jesus our Lord, rooted and built up in Him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So He wants us to keep walking this path, coming up against the mystery after mystery, learning more about God's love time after time, and we can continue to become Christ uh, like Christ. And, and our key to that is actually to abound in thanksgiving. When we can give thanks for God's love, that's when it starts to go deeper and deeper and deeper, and we understand it more. Instead of complaining and feeling sorry for ourselves, instead choose to give thanks for what God did for you, what God is doing for you, and we can start to overcome, walk through each mystery we encounter. All right, so that was just a, I was going to say quick recap. It was a recap of last week's message. And, um, and, I, and it's important because we need to connect that into what we're talking about uh, this week. So uh, I mentioned that one of Paul's main objectives, one of his goals in writing this letter 
was to deal with some wrong teachings, false teachings, heresies that were being spread. So if you read in Colossians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes, you know, I say all of these things about the mysteries and the lordship of Christ in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Right? I don't want you to be led astray by these false teachings. But notice he calls them plausible arguments. Right? Because uh, think, think about it like when something doesn't make sense to you. What is the first thing that you do? You try to change it so it fits into your understanding. Right? You try to, you try to understand it by fitting it into your grid, your, your belief system. So let's, let's use an example. Uh, I'm just going to use something very practical, not theological. I watched another Korean... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so let's say I, I'm sitting down in this room. We're just sitting around before service. There's some uh, other people here. And Nudge, Nudge over there, he's my good friend. And, you know, we always laugh together. We always have a good time. He loves my jokes, which he, I hope he does. But, you know, for me, I've always dealt with self-esteem problems. I, I, I don't believe that people really like me for who I am. I don't think that I'm worth liking, hypothetically, let's say. <laughs> and so and so we're just sitting here you know I'm, I'm sitting there and then I see Nudge walk in the room on Sunday and instead of coming over and sitting next to me he starts and goes to talk talks to Maury what? <laughs> I'm so confused how can Nudge be my good friend and yet not come over and say hi to me the truth is, Maury, no one's been talking to Maury recently. I don't know why. But Nudge notices that, and he wants to make her feel welcomed. So when he came in, he saw Maury was by herself, just like on her phone. And so he went over to make her feel welcomed and loved. All right, that's the truth. But for me, I don't know that. And so I try and make sense of this confusion. Why did Nudge not cut? Like, do I smell bad? Or like, what's going on? And actually, what I do is I reach down into what I believe about myself. No one really likes me. But wait. Nudge likes me when I make jokes. All right? And so I create a plausible argument. I create this plausible explanation that nudge only likes me when I say funny things. Right? The reason why he went to talk to Maury was because I hadn't said anything funny yet. Right? It, it's, it's not true, but it's based on what I see, that nudge has not chosen to sit next to me, and then based on what I currently believe about myself and our relationship. Does that make sense? Is it? You know, like we, we can sometimes do that. We try to make explanations that make sense about these confusions or issues. 
And so while it's a different situation, I think it's something similar to what we see in this church, the church in Colossae, the Colossians. The, the gospel, the truth about Jesus was being spread to different cultures, different people, different countries. And uh, in the Colossian church, they were actually based in Turkey. There's actually a group of people called the Phrygians. And so we had Jewish, uh, Jewish people who grew up in Colossae, right? Kind of like how we have, you know, Korean people who grew up in Melbourne, right? They were probably there for multiple generations. So you can see that they had their Jewish beliefs, but also they had the local Colossian Phrygian beliefs, and then they also had the Roman Empire, the Greek philosophical beliefs. So it's kind of like how Koreans growing up here, they have their Korean tradition, they have the local Aussie tradition, and then they have this Western, you know, enlightenment, you know, rationality, that kind of tradition. Right, so the church that Paul was talking to, that was kind of their framework, their understanding, their belief system. And we're trying to put the gospel into that. We're trying to speak the gospel into that. So let's look at four verses. We're going to go through four verses that just show us uh, what Paul was trying to address. These different beliefs, these wrong beliefs. So let's look at verse 8 first. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. I'll just read it out for us. Paul writes... See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So we hear him talking about philosophy. Like people are going to try to use philosophy to, uh, to take you away from Jesus. And also the second thing, human tradition, which is the elemental spirits. So elemental spirits is actually the word for angel worship. So if you read in Galatians, Paul says, don't accept any different gospel, even one given to you by angels. That's the same word here. Right. And, you know, angels. I'll explain that later. So let's move on. Verse 16. So let's move to verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. This is talking about Jewish tradition, Jewish religious traditions. So the first one is more Greek, the local Phrygian, Persian beliefs about angels and demons. This verse is talking about your Jewish beliefs. So it's like our, for example, for the Koreans here, your Korean Lunar New Year, you know, worshipping your ancestors, Chesa, like that kind of stuff. These are your ethnic uh, religious beliefs. Or for us, our Christian worship. Okay, verse 18. So let's keep moving through. Verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, 
puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Asceticism is the practice of denying my physical desires. So, no sexual lusts, no sexual desires. Uh, Food, very simple food or fasting. Water, no alcohol, just um, very plain food. Stripping away all my physical desires so that I I may become a more spiritual person. So kind of like monks or, or Buddhists, right? That kind of thing. And again, it talks about worship of angels here. Okay, one more, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the, in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So we see similar things. Angel worship, uh, religious traditions, self-made religion, asceticism, spirituality. So going back to my example with Nudge and Mori. So what happened? Uh, I was sitting there, and Nudge came in. He was meant to be my friend, but he didn't sit next to me. He went and talked with Maury. And he was just being nice to Maury, but I didn't realize that. And instead, I just, I, as I thought through my own little belief system, I came to the conclusion what made sense was that Nudge will only like me if I say something funny. He ignored me because I wasn't being funny. Because he doesn't really like me for me. Right? So then what do I do? So I decide, I decide, okay, I have to be funny in order for Nudge to pay attention to me, to like me. So Nudge is talking to Maury. He's like, oh, how's your mom? And he's being very nice to her. And then, you know, showing showing the love of Jesus to a sister. And then over here with Stephanie and Mino on the side over here, I start being really loud. <laughs> I'm so funny, ah, making no jokes. I'm looking at Nudge like, is he noticing me? Oh, Mino, your hair's so awesome. <laughs> it, it really is. I love it. And, <laughs> and so because of my wrong beliefs about myself, about the world, you know, it warps what is actually true. That nudge actually does like me. But it twists it because I don't really love myself. And in the end, what what does it cause? It causes me to act in a way that's needy. I act in a way that actually create separation in our relationship it doesn't bring us closer together right because of this way i'm trying to deal with this confusion so going back to our church here the colossian church their local beliefs about angels and demons it probably came from you know persian influence they believe that angels and demons existed and had power over the earth. So different angels 
and different demons had power over different parts of nature and different countries. Right? That's uh, it's, it's similar to shamanism. It's actually like traditional Korean beliefs in spirits, the spirits of nature and the spirits of ancestors and so on. Right? And actually, you had to speak with the angels and demons in order to talk with God. They controlled the communication between heaven and earth. Right? And actually, they believed that God used them to help create the earth. So when God said, let us do something, well, he was actually talking to all the angels. The second thing, Greek philosophy. So it originated with Plato. It was the belief that this physical world, our physical body, is actually just a shadow of what's real. It's actually not that important. It's actually dirty. And so the aim of Greek philosophy was to transcend this natural world right, by spiritual uh, wisdom and discipline and ascend into the spiritual reality, leaving behind the body. So that was the Greek influence. And lastly, you know, for the people at this church, they were locals. They were influenced by Greek philosophy, but they were also Jewish people, a lot of them. So what did their Jewish religion tell them about reality? Well, it told them that you have to obey the Jewish purity laws and religious festivals and rituals in order to be acceptable to God in order to be able to come into God's presence and receive his blessings. So we see all three things being mentioned here by Paul. And so it's natural that to these people, the divinity and lordship of Christ didn't make sense to them. He was actually under the angels and demons of this world. He was submitting to them. The resurrection of Christ into his body didn't make sense. Why would you want to come back to your body? You're meant to go forward into spiritual ascension. right? Because the body, the, the flesh is dirty. It's inferior. And then the ending of the temple institution, the fulfillment of Jewish laws in Jesus, that didn't make sense. How are we meant to connect to God now? We have to keep it going. Right? So this is what happened. Uh, a man called Epaphras, he preached the gospel in Colossae to the, to the Colossians. And they received it, but it didn't make sense to them. It was a mystery. So they started to change it for it to make sense according to their beliefs. So this is what produces the Colossian heresy. So we... Uh, Based on what Paul is teaching against, we come up with this false teaching. This is what was being taught in Colossae. The aim after receiving Christ was to become spiritually elite by gaining further wisdom and knowledge through angelic meditation to go through a series of initiations of Jewish rituals and asceticism, so physical discipline treating your body harshly, denying yourself, 
until you gain a spiritual perfection. You become a citizen of the light, having cast off all material, physical elements of your life. This is what was being taught in the Colossian church. And this is what Paul was attacking. This was the enemy of the gospel. In the end, what was it all about? It was all about human tradition. We make up a system that makes sense to us. It was a self-made religion. That's what Paul calls it. And it doesn't lead to holiness and becoming more like Jesus and loving and kind. But what did it lead to? He talks about becoming puffed up, arrogant. You actually are not pure, but it's actually the opposite. You're actually more indulgent in your flesh. You are just feeding a different type of flesh. Not your physical body, but you're making yourself feel better about yourself compared to other people. Right, so we see that you know, the struggle with the gospel, it doesn't just belong to our time, but it goes back to Paul's time, and it stretches back to the beginning of human history. Right, uh, as I was thinking about this, it kind of reminded me of um, a Wolverine. Everyone watch X-Men? And I think it's in first class. I think it's in first class where they show Wolverine before he's like Wolverine when he's like fighting in World War One, I. I think it's because he's like over 100 years old or something. And you see him fighting in World War One, and you see him fighting in World War Two, and you see him fighting in Vietnam. Like, because he's lived so long, he's doing the same thing <laughs> in different time periods. I think if you watch like uh, vampire movies or like, you know, movies involving like secret societies like the Illuminati and things like that, you see how these same people or groups, they go through the same battle over and over again throughout history. So that's how I kind of see it. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, fighting its enemy, human, human tradition, self-made religion, time and time again, over and over again throughout history. It started with Cain, who killed his brother Abel because God rejected his sacrifice you know, throughout all of history until today. So I want to finish today's message by thinking about, so what does it look like today? What is this self-made religion, this enemy of the gospel look like for us today? And I think it's not that different to the church in Colossae. So I want to do this by... I want to give you one short statement, one short line that I think we all kind of grew up with, influenced by, that I think uh, encapsulates a big part of our struggle, our wrestle with the mystery of the gospel. So this, this statement is, success is the aim of life. All right. Would you all agree with that? Or, you know, happiness is connected with success. Something like that, right? You want to have some sort of achievement or fulfillment in life in order to have success or happiness. 
So I think, you know, if, if you're not, uh, for those who grew up without Jesus, if you grew up outside the church, obviously this is true. You want to become successful, you want to do a good job at some sort of career, you want to build a life, have a family or whatever it is, and happy life, then you die and that's it. Right? But I think even for us, even for Christians, I think we still, in one sense, are told the same thing by the world, if not the church. So we grew up in this world, we hear the same messages. You know, aim of life is to be happy. Happy comes from, happiness comes from success. Success comes from achievement, you know, the maximizing your potential. You know, that, that's the point of life, you know. But, you know, we, we go to church, we meet Jesus, and we, we think, oh, you know, I know that's not right. Like, that's not what it means to follow Jesus. And so we think, okay, I'm going to just change my focus to God. Right? That's what it means to be a good Christian. So in the end, we start to think the aim of life is to make God happy. Right? I think a lot of people grew up thinking that's what Christianity means, right? You want to you make God happy. We make God happy by doing the right things. Right? So if we're successful doing the right things, you know, then, we, then God's happy, I'm happy, we're all happy. Right? Happy church, happy life. So we believe that, so we work hard to serve the church. In one sense, we're doing our own versions of the Jewish traditions. Right? And some of the time, what happens to people, well, I guess if you really believe this, most of the time what happens to you is either you end up puffed up, full of pride and arrogance. Look at how good I am at making God happy. Right? I'm such a good Christian. Or, if you fail, if you have a hard time, you become burnt out. You become bitter, disillusioned. Like, God sucks. Why, why am I doing any of this? This is pointless. In the end, we end up neither happy nor successful. If you look at it honestly. So it's easy for us you know, who grow up as Christians or who come to, know, come to know Christ because in the end we haven't changed this underlying belief that the point of life is to be successful. Happiness is tied with success, is tied with achievement. What we've done is actually we just took the same thing that the world believes and we just painted it with a thin coat of Christianity. So now it's like, pleasing God is what it means to be successful and means to be happy. But as I said, that can just end up in the same end result. But you're just doing it inside of the church instead of outside. So the point is, when it all becomes about results... Have I achieved? Have I become successful in something? Then you've stopped focusing on the heart, the true meaning, and you start focusing on external, what's outside. Are we doing this? Are we being successful? How do people look at me? 
you start looking at things on the outside. Failure is not an option. Other people just become tools by which you can achieve that success. All right? An easy way, an easy way to think about this is let's say we have a church, some people aren't helping. You don't really think about like what they're going through or you know whatever it is. You just see them as a burden or they're not pulling their weight. What has happened is it turns into judgmentalism. When your focus is about success, it leads to comparison, judgmentalism. You know, the, the struggles, the burdens, uh, sorry, the struggles or, you know, you know maybe um, some people just don't care, like the apathy. You, you know, those things about other people, they become a burden, an obstacle to our success in pleasing God, rather than the very thing that the church is meant to heal. Right? We're here to help those people who are struggling and who are not interested in God, but yet we sometimes we can see them as, like, you're hurting our cause. You're not helping us achieve our goals. We're meant to be here to serve them. And so... The one thing I wanted to point out today is that it's this legalistic mindset that comes from not really addressing the core belief about life. We're just transferring what we believed before Jesus over and just painting it with a Christian cone of paint. But we're just living out the same thing within the church. That can happen. And I think that's something that's happened in our church recently and even something I experienced earlier, even in ECF days, in my mentality, my mindset. Other people struggling was actually a burden. It was seen as a hindrance rather than something you wanted to reach out and help with. So it's not just enough to, you know, do things for God. But you have to actually look deeper. Why, why, why am I going here? Why do I need this? And I just want to suggest that something I've been reflecting on is that it, it comes from a place where you are thinking, I have to earn someone's approval, God's approval. It's like, I have to earn Nudge's approval. I have to make him like me, so I act in this way. But that comes from a place where I don't believe I'm worthy of being loved just for me. I have to do something for people to like me. Does that make sense? So I'm not saying like this is everyone's situation. But if this like uh, strictness, this legalism, this drive for achievement and, you know, things being right, if that's something that you feel like is what you're struggling with, I think often if you go deeper it's not about pride. It's not about uh, you know, this driven mindset. But it's actually that you believe you have to achieve something in order to be worth people's love. Or it could be you know, because I'm ugly, because of my personality, 
because I'm a failure, I'm not smart. All these different reasons can be why you have this desire to earn people's approval. But that's not what God says about you. And so it's not just enough to change your definition of success, but you need to change this underlying belief that you need to do something or you know, be successful in order to be worthy of love and acceptance. Right? That, that belief that I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable, it needs to be met by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is where we're going to finish. So Paul was saying to the church, do not be led astray by human traditions, by worldly thinking that says spiritual success is the way. But he says, cling to the whole truth of Christ. So I want us to read verses 11 to 13 together. So can you turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 to 13? You can maybe look on with your neighbor if you need to. Right, so on three, let's all read verses 11 to 13 together. One, two, three. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Sins. Trespasses. Christ died not just to give us a clean slate. So sometimes we believe, you know, Jesus died and so now our sins are like washed away. And we start back at zero. That's true, but that's not it. That's not all of it. But it talks about a circumcision, a cutting away, cutting away of the flesh. When Christ died, he also cut away that old dead part of us, the part that doesn't believe that you're worthy of being loved, the part that thinks you're ugly, that thinks you're stupid, that thinks you're a failure. When he died, that was cut away. That's not part of you anymore. So when you receive Christ, you're not just the same person, but kind of like washed, washed with water and then given a bit of Christian paint. You're actually, you're a new being. You're a new person. You're alive in Christ. You're not bound by the old ways of the world by the standards of the world that believe in success and achievement, earning your love. But you are alive in Christ. You are filled with the presence of Him who is love. You, you, Christ is in you who is love. And it's not just a concept. It's not just a wisdom of the Greeks. But this is reality. Jesus was resurrected into a physical body. He walked on this earth like we do. And he ascended into heaven and he's literally sitting at the right hand of God, praying for us, watching over us, 
cheering for us when we're struggling, loving us even when we fail, even when we stumble. You know, he still is encouraging us and cheering us on in heaven. So when this mystery of God's love is revealed to your heart, this, this truth that you are fully loved, fully accepted by God, right? regardless of what you do, and He proved this, He showed it by sending Jesus to die for us. It's been demonstrated. It's not just a theory. When you believe that we're one with Christ, we're one with Him, that His Spirit of love and power lives in us, then you actually realize you don't need to make a new definition of success, but you've already won. You don't need to win at anything. You don't need to approve or achieve anything. In Christ, you've won everything. Any definition of success you could possibly come up with, you've won. There's nothing more to prove but just to be abounding in thanksgiving, saying thank you to God and showing that same love to the people around you and to Jesus. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, we just uh, thank you, God, that you know throughout human history, Lord, uh, you know that you know time and time again, uh, you are trying to lead us, God, through that mystery of your love. You're trying to help us understand your grace, what it truly means to be loved by you, God. And Father, we just pray that sometimes, you know, we don't fully understand what it means to be alive in Christ, that we have not only just been washed clean, but we have been born again. You know, that the old ways, the old stanzas of the world, you know, that need to prove ourselves, God, that no longer applies to us, God, but we are set free. We have been set free by your Son um, just to worship, just to give thanks, and to love like you have loved us, God. So, Father, we just pray that as individuals and as a church, Lord, that you know you would reveal uh, just the wonder of your love to us more and more, uh, that every day we would go deeper and deeper into that, and that through that, you know, those mysteries, those uh, obstacles, those hurdles to following Jesus, um, you know, would slowly uh, be broken down, that you would lead us uh, forward step by step uh, to becoming more like your son, Jesus. So, Father, we just thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.